0: welcome to the citizen-centric podcast transforming our cities with technology and sharing okay well, welcome to the citizen-centric podcast uh, i'm ken dooley and i'm here with elisa ronka from siemens um i need to find out elisa's full uh, job title at the moment but in her linkedin profile it says prop tech humanizer digital transformation driver ux enthusiast And it is exactly those qualities that we have Elisa on today. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Elisa.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Okay, cool. Um, And you're originally from Finland, but you're working now in Zurich.
1: That's correct. Yes, I moved here in September last year.
0: Okay. And you have a really fun uh, work history. So before you tell me about what you currently do in Siemens, um, what has been your kind of journey to your current role? How, How do you want to describe that?
1: Well, it's a bit of an unconventional journey, that's for sure. So I started in, in, the, in the realm of uh, accounting and finance and did that for 10 years in all kinds of uh, corporations, including Siemens, and then moved over to, de- to a development function about three years ago. Uh, and now I'm working in the digital business development side of things here in Zurich. So um, not the most traditional career path, uh, to be honest.
0: And your original development function, was that more kind of people development and kind of almost human resources connected, uh, personnel development? Uh, Or or
1: what was that original? Yes, it was both. So it had that element, and then it was also in this uh, more customer-centric side, but from an internal focus, and now I'm more customer-facing. So that has been the biggest change in, in moving to Zurich.
0: Okay. Okay. Sounds, sounds really good. Um, and then and, and then what is your current role? Um, so so you, you you have you have this kind of high level lines on, on LinkedIn, which is which which I think describes what what I see your expertise as. Let's say. Um, what 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 is the the form the formal kind of role that you have in, in Siemens?
1: So the formal title is a bit long. So it's Business Development Innovation Manager, uh, so kind of covering everything under one umbrella. Yeah. Uh, but in reality, it's really uh, about the emerging technologies that we see happening both in the IoT, um, in the end user facing a workplace apps and, and so forth, and making sense of that. And how do we communicate that to customers? How do we create the value from it um, and kind of Take a step out of just the technology hype and into kind of the the why. Why do we need these? What do we do with them? So basically, that's that's my role um, for for region Europe.
0: Okay, and and we seem, seem to talk a lot of the same language at the moment, um, and in, in in just the approach um, that we're talking about it. I think my background in sustainability, where we were trying to get people to give up their their personal car five ten years ago, the idea was that you have a couple of share cars. Um, 500 meters from your home and you say to people you can save lots of money by not paying on tax and insurance and owning a car do you know how much they depreciate over the years you should really rent a car and kind of share it with your neighbors Um, but this idea of kind of saving money and it being practical and sensible was never ever going to work there was always that element of it needs to have convenience it needs to make my life better Um, it needs to kind of save me time it does not save me money um, and, and when I've seen those kind of drivers from sustainability solutions not working in cities, um, it, that's kind of been, let's say, the inspiration for me to understand that, yes, uh, from a practical engineering point of view, something is logical and makes sense, but actually the kind of drivers are are, are much wider than that. It's more like make my life nicer, easier and kind of user experience. So. What kind of journey have Siemens had in this idea that you can't just put a kind of logical, functional solution, you need to kind of attract people to it and, and add, add kind of value to their day? Uh, you guys have had an interesting journey in, in, in kind of that story.
1: Yes, that's correct. So we've also transformed as an organization quite a lot in the past few years. Um, And the slogan I always want to say is experience matters. And that's something we need to start thinking about also in terms of building technology, that it's the experience in in interaction, uh, for example, in sales situations, but it's also the interaction of with people to the spaces to the services and whatever is going on inside the building and the technology needs to support that. So the matter of experience has become vital in in everything uh, that we do, and I think that's transforming our organization as well quite significantly. And uh, what you said about the kind of the saving money aspect on the sustainability side, I'm, I'm fully with you there. I think it's kind of, Becoming not so interesting anymore, just to squeeze and optimize and kind of try to reach the the best um, efficiency as possible, you have to have something else uh, on top of that, uh, but of course, having said that, when you focus on the on the let 's say the user experience in a building, you need to have a return on investment on yeah, that, and yeah. that that becomes kind of the interesting balance as to how do you quantify our return on investment on something that's based on experience, which is not really that well quantifiable. And uh, that's something I tackle with every day and and find extremely interesting. Yeah, and
0: I I think from my point of view, because I'm tackling the same thing on a daily basis, I think we've started to see, um, so from an innovation point of view in the built environment, I'm really interested in kind of, uh, you know, new investments in IoT or, or, you know, uh, creating kind of breaking data silos and, and creating new models from that but the kind of impetus for change isn't in the industry. So one thing that's creating an impetus for change is, I think when we play the user experience kind of card and we think about it that way, there's no longer B2B kind of business anymore. Everything is B2B to C. And if you focus on the C in that chain, then it's kind of creating impetus. So it's something like, you know, some of the most um, easy to sell IOT in buildings at the moment is smart washroom. Um, so that there's always soap and always towels um, and the user experience in a shopping center or a restaurant the, from, the, from a toilet's point of view or, or restroom's point of view is always perfect. Um, but actually then they're using the data generated by them to send the cleaners at the perfect amount of time so they're not coming too often. Um, so they've kind of focused on the user experience, they're delivering the user experience and then they need to somehow indirectly um, kind of make the system more efficient that way, but the focus is 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 on the on the consumer, let's say, um, and and from my point of view, that's how that's how people are making new investments. That's how the kind of change is coming. Um, so it's us communicating to them that if you start with the user side, that there is a chain where you can use that information to kind of make the system, let's say, more efficient, or or and and that means kind of less costly, let's say.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, and we we also talk about that a lot in terms of the kind of the operational efficiency that you gain when you focus on the end user or the C in the in the formula. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think also that's that's kind of a one-dimensional view. We do use that a lot because that's quantifiable and that's easy to justify upwards in an organization when you need to make investments. But I think what's even more interesting is then the let's say the upside potential you have in terms of growth or revenue um, when you you focus on the user experience. So if it's a shopping mall, the kind of Revenue that you can generate more, or if it's an office, yeah. uh, the productivity of the employers, and how does that relate then to the top line growth and so forth? And when you when you start speaking. That talk track, it actually um, interests the sea level way more than yeah. just the, let's say, facility management efficiency, but that's often the lever that's used to to justify the investment because you can calculate it. So it's a nice balance to try to kind of tackle both ends, but, but I think we need to also step out of just the operational efficiency and facility management improvement um, discussion and the fact that we use that as a justification and kind of start to value uh, the much bigger upside potentials that we have on the on the growth side oh, okay. but i think we're, yeah. it's early stages
0: <laughs> yeah but, but but that brings us perfectly to the to the kind of the, the what some of the talks you've been giving lately about yeah, about buildings being active contributors to business success Um, So then if you take it one abstract level higher and you really talk about user experience as a wide concept in a building, uh, kind of creating more revenue for a shopping center or increasing well-being or productivity, um, how, how do you do that? How can buildings be active contributors to business success?
1: Well, first of all, I think they have to be. If they are not, if they are just being optimized, I think it's it's really the uh, old-fashioned way of looking at buildings. So they have to become active contributors. And that then brings us to this kind of contextual intelligence of that building, that what is the business that's being done within? What are the strategic KPIs uh, for, for the business to flourish or to gain competitive advantage? And how do you then kind of derive out of that, Uh, what the building needs to provide. So kind of stepping out of just thinking about the building as a physical structure, but starting from the business, the the strategic KPIs, and drilling down from there to the technologies that support, and part of them, of course, being in the building um, area.
0: Okay. So it's not easy. It's not easy, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure not. <laughs> but so,
1: it's uh it's a different way of looking at at buildings.
0: So so how do how do we how do we add a little bit more meat on that and the bone of that discussion then? So so you know, if people kinda of talk about buildings as platforms, um as, as you know, a building is a really open, uh, flexible space that you can have a yoga class in the morning and a library and, and it can be a city library in the evening and it can be something else and, um, and after that. Um, and we talk about kind of flexible spaces and we talk about kind of pop up and these kind of things, things I kind of talk about a lot. How do you, some of the things you're, you're saying, there, there's a wider kind of, yeah, there, there's a wider thing there in terms of productivity. Um how is there a bit more understanding of how the buildings can create that kind of sense of community in a building or, 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 or these kind of things?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the, the concept of productivity, first of all, is very widespread and yeah. multidimensional. So I think the kind of the easiest things to grasp are, first of all, the actual productivity killers. So what are the kind of um, elements in the building or in the in the business that's being run there inside that building um, that are creating kind of um unwanted uh, productivity loss. So the, the one of the easiest concepts is to think time, like what are the uh, things where you lose time when you yeah. shouldn't? For example, finding spaces is, is a great example, or having uh, discrepancies between uh, the, the spaces um, uh, in terms of the booking system or reality, so having occupancy sensors within to kind of get the real-time transparency. And, and those are the kind of the easiest low-hanging fruits I, I see in, in, especially in the office spaces, to just decrease time wasted, because that should immediately impact then time that can be used for productive work and uh, growth uh, revenue um, in the first place. So I think that's the easiest one to connect the dots with. However, there is research out there, for example, that um, building this community and collaboration within a space is actually the highest lever or perceived lever for productivity, but that's then even harder to quantify that. How do you actually start measuring that? So time reduced, you can actually measure it at least somewhat on a conceptual level, yeah. but um, the impact of collaboration community is, is much harder. So so that's, uh, I think it's a step-by-step um, kind of approach to first take the low-hanging fruit, the ones that can at least somehow be measured and then move to the fuzzier uh, side of, of productivity.
0: Yeah, and then uh, I think two episodes, uh... Two episodes ago, we had Kati Barklund from a tenant and partner in, in Stockholm um, and Gotti's background, when she talks about the future of work, her background is she's worked in facilities management. She's worked in Microsoft uh, on kind of work tools and now she's kind of working in the leadership and cultural kind of side of, 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 of workplace. Um, and she says a lot that kind of the, the future of productivity now is collaboration um, and that actually, kind of a, something that I'm discovering with, with some customers we have, is that when you make work digital and when you allow people to work where where they want, you have this kind of almost conflict or this kind of problem then where you kind of go, you are mobile, work wherever you want. Um, however, we still want you to kind of co-locate and be face to face with your colleagues because that's where kind of magic collaboration happens. Um, how, how do you guys kind of, is, is that a relevant kind of question for you guys, do you, did you kind of see productivity and collaboration as being, as being really close? And then how do you guys aim to solve some of that issue, um, I, I'm mobile, so how do you attract me to the office two or three days a week so that I bump into my colleagues? What's, what's your opinion on, on, on that kind of question?
1: Yeah, that's a very interesting question, something we think about all the time, uh, because I believe the biggest competitor of office space now is actually the home and the yeah. convenience and comfort of, you know, working in your pajamas on your couch, which is okay, not ergonomically maybe the best, but uh, from, a, from a comfort point of view, definitely. Uh, so we do see the home as a competitor to the office, and somehow the office needs to step up its game uh, to, to be able to provide um, the same or a different level of, of um, convenience. Um, what I believe is is huge is how can an office create what we call the bump effect or the serendipity effect of people to just bump into each other and then naturally uh, kind of organically start to collaborate, because collaboration can never be forced from the employer perspective, or if you try to, you probably end up with an adverse effect. So kind of how could spaces and technologies foster this kind of bump bump effect? Um, That's not, I think, it's not the easiest question. It's not the lowest hanging fruit, but I think it's something we need to be mindful of, of and have in the back of our minds when we develop technologies and when we develop physical spaces as to whether it is at least somehow trying to support this bump effect. Because I'm, I'm with you there that I believe that's really where the magic happens and where innovation happens. And collaboration on a digital level only is never the same because you miss the human factor and you miss that, let's say, the empathetic layer of people um, coming together. And, and that's part of that magic for sure.
0: Yeah, Again, and and actually, you know, we talk a lot as well that it mightn't even be the the home either, but it is something local. It is. uh, When I was doing my PhD, I was two days a week in my local library um, and it allowed my commute to be, you know, three minutes. Um, it allowed me to, you know, not iron my clothing and basically put on a crumpled T-shirt um, and kind of just, just turn up somewhere um, and work. And it was kind of really productive. But but, but yeah, I, I really see this this element that there will be works or there will be neighbourhood, you know, co-working spaces that that we can just rock up to one or two days a week. Um, because you won't then be interrupted by washing clothes or you won't have to cook your own lunch or, or, or whatever the reason is. Um, I think the guy in Amsterdam, kind of, the, the, uh, Franz Anton, who we interviewed from Amsterdam, was talking about his wife hoovering as, as he tries to get some work done. Um, So there is a a third option as well, but but regardless of those options, we need to kind of somehow create this bump effect or this this serendipitous meetings, because collaboration is happening in corridors, um, and it is happening um, as you walk into the lunch restaurant and someone's walking out and you say, hey, have you seen uh, the new project that we have? I think you'd be really interested. So creating and attracting people to kind of workplace seems to be a really important element of this.
1: I'm with you there. And also creating this kind of freedom to innovate because, I mean, if you just, as you said, put people in a room and and, and expect them to come out with some great um, uh, ideas, I'm not sure how many of the biggest innovations out there actually have emerged in that uh, setting. So I believe it is kind of in order for creativity to creativity to really flourish, you need to have that kind of freedom. And that means that you have to have this serendipity um, effect of, of, of people just starting to collaborate in maybe the weirdest setting. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the, as you said, the co-working spaces maybe provide this as well um, already by default. And how could you then again compete with that kind of uh, dimension yeah. um, from a uh, corporate office point of view? It's um, it, it's a growing challenge. Uh, looking at the the success of the, of the co-working spaces. Um definitely
0: yeah and, and from our perspective from our collective company's perspective so siemens and granlund i suppose five ten years ago um the discussion on this topic would have been you know really good lighting so you can concentrate um and you know really good ventilation so you're not falling asleep and that the, the building from a functional point of view that it isn't hot that it isn't cold um that you know the water runs so you can wash your hands or get a glass of water or whatever um but now the but now the question is, is, is much more kind of, kind of experiential. Um, you know We've said it doesn't matter if it's a crappy building or if I don't have a monitor and I'm sitting on a, a bad table with a laptop, I'm probably more interested if, if, if the lunch queue isn't very long um, or we've even challenged, you know, instead of putting lots of noise sensors to make sure that we're not having you know, too noisy offices, um, someone has challenged us saying, hey, can we have free M&Ms every day at work instead of you know, tech? Um, so it's, it's important that companies like us that are embedded in the technology side that we start thinking this way as, as well
1: correct and also we need to delight the users so when you think about the technology as you said it's often very functional and it's very much so that okay now we you know we we've, we've cracked the code now we have the perfect conditions for everyone in the space but in addition to that that's correct i mean you have to in order for uh, getting the productivity levels to a certain certain extent uh but you have to also have that delight factor as to what you could maybe learn from the from the consumer side business uh, as to how people are being delighted um and reflect that into the office space and then you reach this level of inspiration and kind of the other dimensions of of um uh, productivity
0: yeah and kind of even the language you're using is different for for, for you know from a I'll, I'll, I'll pin you guys you know to, to traditional siemens and i'll say you know even the language you're using you know about you know these buildings have to be active contributors and you know and that we're talking about serendipity and you're talking about delight so so how do yeah how do you use this language? Why does, you know, a, an innovation manager in Siemens um, start to think the way you think? Um, is it because of your background? Is it because um, you, you always have, have, have had a focus on kind of human-centered innovation? Uh, why don't more people in, in an industry like the, that we're in think the way you, you're you thinking?
1: Probably the reason behind it is because I'm coming from a very different angle into it. So I haven't grown up with, let's say, fiddling with technology, and and to be honest, I'm not delighted with the technology in itself. I don't find the passion in uh, just the tech. So it comes from a wider perspective. Um, my background from having a strong background in, in accounting supports in. Kind of whatever we are doing to think about the return on investment factor and how does that affect the, let's say the corporate incentives so that's supporting what i'm doing but the biggest factor is really um a few years back when i started seeing what's happening in the in the b2c uh, market in terms of um, design thinking and service design and how that was really becoming a big hype there but was not even touched upon yet uh in our industry which is a bit lagging behind i think in in a lot of uh, new trends and i started thinking it's so big in the b2c area that it must come to to our industry as well and i really started deep diving into it and studying that and then trying to kind of filter the ideas and the mindset out of it into the context that we live in in the in the building industry and um, i think that's one reason why it has been uh, quite successful and is still an ongoing journey and journey yeah. for yeah. us yeah. But, but i think it really needs to be filtered because if we think about let's say design thinking Thinking, the first impression that people have is like oh let's put post-its post-its yes. up on the wall and you know have an ideation session and that's not really what it is it's it's really the human centricity and the customer centricity and the definition of meaning behind uh, any kind of technology and that coming then to the question of value and deep uh, deep diving into things like empathy which um in the let's say the tech-centric uh world that we live in um has not been a hot topic before but once you start integrating that into uh, it becomes very very interesting and very holistic view on kind of technology and and that's uh what i try to support with
0: yeah but but it's, it's also difficult to kind of create i think it's really cool that you have i would almost say that you've accidentally fallen into the into into the tech world because your original role in siemens you know um, you, you could have done it parallel to without knowing very much about the business, um, or maybe I'm wrong there. And and the fact that you've accidentally fallen into a kind of a tech company, and then and then you've you've become so useful. The, the kind of question is, how does another company have an ELISA? Do you have? Do you hire? I think the, the, what's interesting about this is, can you hire this with create hires with service designers and embed them in teams, or do you need? Um, kind of more contextual intelligence that, that sometimes you talk about a lot, that you have to have a little bit of business, a little bit of technology, a little bit of, let's say, human-centric thinking, um, and maybe you need to wrap it all up in the communication skills to, to, to sell those, that viewpoint to other people. So can you just hire some service designers to, to kind of think the way you think, or do you need to have a kind of broad ranging experience that you can only get from being in the workplace for a while?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I I think uh, it's a start to hire, uh, let's say, service designers externally, but not trying to think of that as a silver bullet, as, oh, now we have service designers, so we just pop them in the group, and then, you know, everything will happen that that uh, you can actually even get an adverse effect yeah. because uh, the outside organization might feel that okay, what is this? <laughs> there's just someone coming in and trying to change everything. Um, so or, it might or, work. Or, or, uh, or,
0: yeah, or, or work. actually, the re- the rebound effect of that as well is I don't have to think human centric anymore. We hired this person yeah. to do that for me, so I can I can stop worrying about that question. Yeah, so there's exactly. a rebound that's, effect. That's the yeah. worst. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because that's so easy to do, that, okay, tick the box that we have such competencies yeah. in the organization, yeah. so we must get the outcomes. So, I mean, I think the service design and design thinking and, and the practicing of empathy in a business context uh, is really everyone's responsibility. Everyone should start being aware of it, because in the end, it's more and more about the mindset. It's not really about, yes. um, let's say, actual competencies that you need to study day in, day out. It's just looking at things differently and i believe that's everyone's responsibility in an organization to kind of go ahead and and continue on that um journey but for as from an let's say an employer point of view i think it's just being open to the to the opportunities and and when hiring and when thinking about positions to just also think a little bit differently that it doesn't have to be the conventional path that brings you there sometimes that might uh bring good outcomes if you if you kind of um take a bit of a risk. Um, to be honest, Siemens has taken a bit of a risk in, in me if you look at my CV and reflect that through the role I'm doing, um, but um, it, it seems to work quite nicely at least so yeah. far.
0: It, it really looks like it's working really well. Um, so then just from that mindset point of view, because I use that word a lot, I use it a lot around um, the kind of problems uh, we would like to solve with data, that 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 at at this emerging stage of the industry, it isn't solve everything with data. It's it's finding the one or two things that you could illuminate something with data and kind of building credibility with them. But but back to the kind of back to let's say your role in the industry, um, and that mindset and and the concept of contextual intelligence. This is something I've heard you talk about before. How do you see? What is contextual intelligence and how does it add value to, a, to, to an organisation in, in the kind of things we're trying to talk about here, adding user experience to a, to a tech company?
1: So contextual intelligence, I think, is always again starts from the business. So if you have a building, the building exists for a reason. I mean, it, it it destroys the nature, so it must do it for a reason, right? Yeah. And it's what's being done inside. So if it's a hospital, it's different. If it's a shopping center, and so forth. And that's kind of the start of the contextual intelligence. That what does that mean? What do the people then do inside? And how does the business flourish? What What are the kind of the aspects affecting it? And when you start from that journey and and then you start thinking about, okay, so technology-wise, what should we do? Um, you really end up in this contextual intelligence part of it. Um, of course, that requires then uh, quite a lot of, uh, from, from the technology, I mean, from the, let's say, data integration, as you said, we data silos are very prominent still and trying to break that to really bring that l- next level of intelligence. Uh, but it really starts from the, from the context of the business and the people within uh, a building.
0: And and do we need, does every organization or every kind of, let's say, team or department kind of need one person who's able to kind of, have all those thoughts in their head at the same time? That they have a little bit of business knowledge, a little bit of so business knowledge meaning you know from a financial perspective, not industry knowledge. Um, because a little bit of knowledge of the bottom line, a little bit of knowledge of the of the technology you're trying to sell, of the of the industry you're in, a little bit of knowledge of that new way of thinking, that kind of human centric approach. Um, and and then you know again like I almost said a moment ago, you need to have the communication skills. To, to then convince people that this is the way way forward. Um, the, the more we kind of read is that, is that those people in an organization or department are really important and you can't just create the same impact by having four people in a department who, who together will work on the same story, let's say, or the same, yeah, the same kind of story and, 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 and the same kind of, uh, to, to sell the same approach, let's say.
1: Uh, I'd say that if you get these people to collaborate willingly, so this yeah. kind of serendipity effect in their collaboration, you might end up with the si- same uh, okay. outcome, but then the communication part is, of course, different, because when you communicate these messages, uh, you have to have a level of authenticity behind it, so you can't just plug in an external person to be the, the puppet who speaks the message. I mean, it has to come from kind of the, the, the authentic standpoint, and I think that may be then ends up being the the um, most challenging part of the equation. So getting kind of the different diversity of competences uh, together and and getting brilliant outcomes from that I think that still is manageable but then how do you as you said sell it internally because you really need to um, frame your messaging very differently depending on the audiences and kind of get them on board and get them inspired and feeling like they want to be a part of this and that they believe in it if they don't if it's just a, me- a message that's being kind of forced on them it will never create that effect so so I think yeah. that part becomes then, 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 then tricky um, if you kind of in a way, um, try to combine uh, the, the, the different skills and, and um, end up with the outcome. But it's not impossible. Uh, so yeah. I, I wouldn't no, no, say no. it's impossible, but it's, it's definitely more uh, difficult.
0: Yeah, but I really like this the concept of authenticity as well, because, you know, I've recently been involved in a project where we've put little small eye beacons all over an, an office campus, um, and the beacons then kind of talk to your mobile phone or they talk to your laptop um, and they allow you to do navigation and they allow you to kind of connect to, 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 to for your colleagues to find you if you want to be found. Um, and if we were installing kind of technology under everyone's desk, then people are really curious and say, why are you doing that? What is it for? Um, if we gave them a really kind of half reason, oh, we're helping you to do this or something like that, then then you know it's it's a lot less acceptable. But if you have a real reason that you can you can communicate to them that that they don't see through as being some kind of fake idea, then that there's much more kind of acceptance of of a new way of operating of that of that kind of new system of how you find colleagues or like the things you said at the start, is finding spaces, kind of real time transparency of spaces. Um, that if you can show that you're actually solving a real-world problem that they as normal people have then you know th- There's a lot more acceptance and there's there is authenticity there It, it, it it's, it's a lot more real than the, than some of the kind of uh, You know more operational efficiency focused things in the past um, And
1: I think the problem there has been that uh, a lot of um, companies think about okay, we need to again gain the efficiency and productivity and so they introduce technology and they say, oh, then we get insights on it and that will be great, but they kind of forget about the user centricity for real, about what does it bring to the user, what's the value, and how can that delight them? Again, getting back to this factor yeah. of delighting. Yeah, yeah. And and if you forget that part, then easily technology can be seen as intrusive and as kind of like, oh, you just try to squeeze the efficiency out of me as an employee, and I'm not getting anything out of it. So it's really important to balance both sides and, and really look at both sides from the user. So, so from the managerial point of view, and then from the end user point of view, to, to make that work uh, together. And people want to be productive. I mean, there have been surveys around um, Gensler, I just saw, made a big, big uh, research on it, uh, how people wanting to be productive in, a, in an office space is actually one of the biggest um, kind of pain points or questions that they want to do. So people want to feel like like they accomplish something during the day. And then how can you kind of foster that? So productivity is not only a negative sense, it's also a very positive, personal feeling and we need to appreciate that when we design uh, spaces and technologies.
0: Okay that makes a lot of sense and actually that touches on on this idea as well that I talk about sometimes which is our expectations of the built environment you know of our shopping centers or our hospitals or our office buildings and um, they change because of some of the kind of platform economy um, solutions that are that are coming up so if I can order a taxi by pressing one button and I open the door of the taxi and then I don't even have to pay in the taxi because it goes through the app and my credit cards connected so I order a taxi I turn up I get in it I get out of it and I've essentially pressed one or two buttons um, and I can do the same with kind of Uber Eats or Volt or Foodora whatever kind of food delivery service there is. I can open the app, I can say, hey, I want the same order as I had last time. Uh, My family are ordering sushi. And then it turns up at the door and it's two or three clicks. Um, Are you seeing that the kind of expectation of built environment is changing because of some of these really elegant kind of nice platform economy solutions?
1: Definitely. So because it's the same humans, same users that yeah. are within buildings that use these these sort of end-consumer apps, um, they, they expect the uberization of everything, I'd like to call it that way, because it has to be this certain level of fluidity in experiences, uh, and the built environment needs to start catering for that. It becomes – the friction becomes unacceptable uh, also in the physical spaces and whether that's about accessing spaces or whether it's about interactions in the spaces. Uh, the, the, all the friction – or most of the friction at least needs to be uh, removed, and that can be removed if you think about it smart from a from a technology perspective, yeah. but the era of accepting friction is over uh, thanks to the the development on the b two c uh, front because it said it 's the same humans and they have the same level of expectations so so it 's just a matter of time. I think at this point in time, we are still kind of on the verge so some kind of friction is still understood and, and accepted but I, I think we are moving fast towards the the time when it's unacceptable
0: yeah and and obviously there's the frictionless kind of journey let's say the kind of customer journey um how what do you think are the drivers what what, you mentioned the kind of frictions in an office building a while ago. Um, I sometimes des- des- you know describe friction or kind of user centric as you know it has to save me time. it has to give me more choice um, It has to be super easy to use i don 't want to be logging in all the time and typing in my bank details all the time so time choice easy and then if it can help me or support me to be productive or healthy or safe um then you know healthy and safe and helps me to be that way it doesn't tell me to be that way i have to make that own personal decision but it can support me um do, do they make sense to you or, or what are these kind of drivers of a really nice user experience is there, is there kind of some things that we that we really have to do every time
1: i'm with you with what you mentioned i think definitely those are the the kind of the factors in it and i think if you Kind of want to put it in a broader context. It's that it has to help you accomplish whatever you are there to accomplish. That's kind of in its simplest wording. wording uh, what needs to be done. So whether um, you can accomplish it easier by saving time, or uh, you can accomplish it, let's say, in a more delightful, delightful way, if you have more choice. But in the end, I mean, you. Everything you do in, in in life is an action, um, conscious action, and you have to be able to kind of go through that. and And how can you support that? So it's it's a bit high level what I'm saying, but yeah. I think then when you break it down, it comes down ta- down to exactly uh, what you were you were saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, and kind of friction free is a good summary of these kind of things as well. Uh, yeah, it's and I, fluidity. I, yeah, and everyone has their own kind of frictions, but it, it's really interesting to kind of see what are the kind of what are the high level things you know where do we start when we're learning how to do this um okay and it's a bit like you said as well you know it's when you mentioned productivity killers earlier on it's you know it's those kind of friction creators what are those things that really really kind of frustrate people um okay that's that's kind of really interesting How, how do you guys what's the grand vision of if you're working on workplace um or and and the kind of flexibility that we're talking about in these kind of things um, do you have a kind of vision of of what the future of, of of kind of of workplace is? Is it kind of coming to the office two or three days a week and and having a a kind of place that delights us and kind of creates different kind of the, you know the freedom to innovate and, and the kind of and, and and this kind of bump effect? Um, do we? do we also have these spaces you know in our neighborhood or or do we just always work wherever we want and then we mentioned I think a few weeks ago where we said that actually the future of workplace is completely mobile and then you meet maybe two or three days every fortnight and you go to a convention center uh, and work two 12-hour days and have dinner with your team in the evening or something like this where do you guys see it going or have you seen any good good discussions lately that, that kind of underpin some of the kind of direction this is going?
1: I mean, I think flexibility is here to stay and uh, it will not decrease at least so that the fact that you have, as you said, mobile working or completely mobile working, um, that puts a bit of pressure on the utilization of space and and the kind of efficiency factor. And I think that's another thing that needs to be really managed and and carefully thought of from the managerial point of view. Um, But but I think flexibility is here to stay, and that will not change. What I do see from the workplaces is where they are moving into is more to this kind of learning um, and making smart recommendations to the users. I think that's still where quite in the early stages in the industry on that part. So we were strong in, let's say, uh, giving employees control uh, or or being able to somehow interact with the space, but then to actually, the, the space to recommend but not be intrusive in the recommendations. I, I think that's really um, the, the next level of intelligence that we see see emerging, and uh, that will only get better and better with, the, let's say, the integration of all kinds of services um, from the outside and all kinds of data, data sources. Uh, so I think that will hopefully be the lever for then this extreme mobility and that let's say the space utilization issue to maybe stabilize a little bit and actually attract uh, people into the office spaces as well then to foster the innovation and collaboration that should should follow. Um, so that that would be if I had to bet my money on something it would be really the smart smart recommendations okay. uh, But done in a delightful way for the users got gotcha.
0: you and and before we go then what do you think about kind of the the one of the nice things about the future place you work is that they become service hubs so it's a place on the roof where an amazon drone can deliver a pizza or or can deliver i can have my delivery sent to work and i can have my groceries sent to the office um and maybe i can get a haircut here or a massage here because there's there's, there's various pop-up services and maybe um in some places we say you know an office valuation has to have some restaurants nearby and a gym nearby but maybe the kind of future is that that it has to have um kind of city bike stations and some local kind of car share or cargo bike in the neighborhood that that, that a future that adding value to an office building isn't just having a gym and a Starbucks nearby as it is in some neighborhoods but it's actually being able to have these kind of service um, kind of connections, these really light service connections. You don't need to have a, an Amazon f- store um, in the building, but you can have somewhere where, where deliveries can be made. Um, how relevant are, are, is that kind of service hub um, and workplace coming together from what you've seen?
1: Extremely relevant. So I think we already are in the work life blur phase in terms of a mindset and and employees in general are blurring the boundaries. But what's still missing a little bit is this integration of the community and the services into this mindset of of work life blur. So everything needs to blur together also from the service point of view. And I think then it actually becomes a a full reality. of, of kind of how people want to experience work and life or life and life as I want to call it yeah. uh, also also in the future. So definitely this service hub uh, concept and, and the integration because it's mainly about connectivity then to get people to easily connect to everything around them. Yeah. Um, and, and the friction uh, has to be removed then completely from this process, but uh, definitely it's going to be a big, big thing.
0: Yeah, and the WeWork guys said something really interesting that they said that in their opinion, uh, your workplace has to be su- has to deliver such delight. I'll mm-hmm. use your word that. Um, you would easily kind of go for a beer there in the evening um, as opposed to like, um, okay, I work in this neighbourhood and then on a Saturday or Sunday, if I even came near that neighbourhood, it, it's it's making me think about work. Um, so I avoid that area of the city as much as possible because I've totally segmented their life. The WeWork kind of model is that actually, you know, you would work there and then even if there is some bars nearby to watch the Champions League football in the evening, that actually you would happily you know uh, kind of socialize in the same building that you work in or in in the same you know space that you work in and and that they're, they're they're trying to create that full full mix um and you know if you could finish work at 6 p.m. go home for some reason and then come back into the office in the at 8 or 9 o'clock to to socialize and, and watch sport or you know play pool or whatever it is that that's their dream of a of an office that you love to be in um, so, so they even have that perspective as well. You know maybe there's a value in space utilization from that point of view. So you know when they when they kind of are creating their posters of people sitting on sofas all together kind of watching TV or something that's their their vision. Um, so maybe we'll get one of those uh, kind of cultures at some stage as well.
1: Definitely. And if you if we think about where innovation happens, as said, it doesn't necessarily happen in the meeting room. So if yeah. you can get people to spend time together also voluntarily, but it has to be, of course, completely voluntary, but yes. make the environment such that they want to do so. Um, I think that's also where, when you see, let's say, a jump in the level of innovation yeah. of an organization yeah, yeah.
0: as well. So so maybe that's the top level, top level target that you voluntarily voluntarily spend time in the office zone, whatever that means, across the road from work in work, um, completely out of working hours. And if Siemens or Grundland or whoever are, are, are creating that culture, then, then I think we know we've done a good job.
1: Definitely. And I, I think we still have some journey ahead of us and the whole industry does, uh, but I think that's what we need to start aspiring for, really how we can cater for the users um, for real.
0: Okay, super. Um, anything else then that we haven't covered, or and, and then really importantly, how can people kind of get in touch with you? There's a there's a good link um, about that's been um, going around on social media, connected to your your Munich Work Tech talk. So I can put that in the show notes and I'll tweet that out. Um, anything else you could tell me about, about your coming to Recotech in Helsinki? Um, but how, how can they learn more if they, if they if they like what they've heard from you and they and they, and they want to kind of see what else you're talking about?
1: So just reach out to me via le- LinkedIn. I'm very active there, as you can see. So um, uh, any any means of of communication is very welcome. And yeah, I'll, I will be in RecurTech, um and also in the IoT World Congress this autumn. Uh, okay. So in in several um, several events, I will be speaking and uh, and attending. So. Um, can also just nudge me physically as well, if that's uh, better to do it. Like if like if it was 1995 and actually talk to each other face to face. That works too in these events.
0: <laughs> it is. And I, I hope to see you face to face at one of those events myself. Um, okay, cool. That was really helpful, Elisa. Thank you very much for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. It was uh, my pleasure.
0: Okay. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Citizen Centric Podcast transforming our cities with technology and sharing.